Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Welcome again, everybody. So maybe we could start. Um, <laughs> maybe we could start. Just um, you know, usually we like if we're back to when we're in a group here. I'm still sitting at Sacred Roots. Um, I'm envisioning all of you here. <laughs> um, envision it back in um, in person, but. Um, but maybe we can we could come together as a group um, if you want to just unmute yourself and, and, and just say hi. We like to say hi and good morning to each other. Feel free. I know we kind of did a little bit before we started, but feel free to say hi. So good to see all of you. Um, and we definitely are working on ways to social distance and, and get us to, together again in some kind of activities. You know, Winnie and I were just chatting. So um, definitely stay tuned. We're going to do something of the sort. We could come and meditate together, maybe at the beach or um, at a park or something like that. So, um, All right. So, yeah, so today, um, if you... Hold on, let me just get a mute all here. All right, so yeah, today I want to chat a little bit about empathy. Now, uh, it's a topic for today. Um, just to give a quick um, definition of empathy. And then there's you know maybe a lot of definitions out there, but um, I like how Alan Wallace um, you know he likes to say feeling with. And, Sure, he's probably not the only one, but feeling with somebody, uh, tuning into somebody's um, you know, e emotional tones, and overall just being sensitive. You know, empathy is the ability to feel um, what somebody uh, might be feeling or, or going through, um, as opposed to compassion, which is more uh, of uh, more moving towards action. Uh, compassion is asking, "What can I do?" Um, empathy is the precursor to compassion, so it's very important. Uh, we talk a lot about the development of compassion, but really it starts with, with empathy. And this subject was you know, brought to my atten attention recently. Uh, I was doing an MBSR course for University of Irvine, and we had a lot of staff um, taking the course um, at the university. And... It was actually during um, uh, the, the George Floyd incident, uh, incident and aftermath. And so, you know, as a group, we're just kind of collectively going, going through that. And one of the professors, you know, brought this up. It's like, we really need, we really need empathy. There's a lack of empathy and the ability to see um, um, each other's uh, suffering and each, each other's struggles, you know. And I told a story, I told a story 
uh, you know, at the MBSR during the course, and I've told the story a bunch, like MBSR and and um, mindfulness, you know, courses and whatnot. But but it just tells of that kind of transformation that we can go from kind of more selfishness to to more seeing um, others. And the story is that I was going, I was going from one appointment to the next, and I wasn't late, um, but I was right on time <laughs> to get from one place to another. And uh, it was in Long Beach. I was on one-way street, and I was behind a, um, a water truck delivery person. And uh, he stopped in the middle of the one-way street and you know, to, to deliver the water. And at first, I was like, wow, I can't believe he's actually doing this because there was already tra traffic behind me, and I didn't know how long that was going to take. And so I watched my, my body contract, I watched my emotions, you know, I watched uh, my thoughts and whatnot. I watched my agitation, I saw my rearview mirror, I saw people, you know, stacked up behind me, I saw their frustration as well. And uh, I, just, I didn't want to be late. And, you know, with the mindfulness of this, you know, the triangle of awareness, that's usually what I'm teaching about when I bring up this story, looking at my thoughts, my emotions, my body sensations. Through the, the mindfulness of that, I created some distance between what I was actually feeling and the situation itself. And through that little bit of distance, I was able to connect with this other human being, the, the worker, this guy just doing his job. And I was able to have my perspective grow a little bit. I saw the street. I saw there was nowhere else for him to pull over. I know those, those jugs are heavy. There's nowhere else for him to go. So as he exited from the home, I made eye contact with him. And I could see he was frustrated too, that he was feeling, he was feeling stress for the whole situation. You know, He knew that he was impeding people's progress, which we always get. <laughs> defensive when our progress is uh, heated, right? So I gave him uh, kind of a little smile, kind of a, like a little, ah, it's okay, you know, it's all, it's all good, right? And, and I could tell he was, you know, a little bit relieved by that. He kind of gave me like a little gesture. I can't remember, like a thumbs up or something like that. And I left that situation actually with, with compassion, which doesn't always happen, but I, but I did. You know, I felt sorry for him, which was nice because I was you know, going to another uh, meditation, so I didn't want to carry you know, that stress with me. So a little example of just of, of having some empathy and that leading to compassion. And it's also an example of what I'm going to get into a little bit uh, here in a little bit, which is mindfulness is actually the precursor to empathy, just like empathy is the precursor to compassion. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But I want to I want to talk first, actually, on why do we want to have empathy and compassion for ourselves and our own practice? And I know it sounds super obvious, like it's like the very basic, the basis of, um, of our practice in many ways, but um, I always love to connect with, you know, deeper into the why, so it's very prominent, you know, at least in my own mind, so just want to unpack that a little bit.
and this first aspect, um, I hope I can, I hope I can um, kind of get through describing kind of what I have in mind. Um, so we'll kind of see how it goes. But um, when we move, when we move into this, this spiritual path, we're really looking to discover something, something more, something more about ourselves, and something that's more available. The than just the mundane, and uh, we could definitely stick to the more hedonistic type of uh, life and, and, and desires. And, and in a way, there's you know nothing wrong with that, with just seeking more pleasure and, and less, less suffering, right? But um, doing so causes, causes conflict, um, and and we could see that this is you know not really lasting. So there's definitely barriers and, and, and boundaries you know happening um, in, in our minds when we're moving when we're living from this kind of uh, motivation, if you will. And so this this type of motivation for just seeking you know more more happiness, uh, more um, more pleasure, I should say, you know, let less suffering. It's uh, just it's it's selfish, you know. We have this kind of selfish um, desire, and in in that selfishness again is this uh, this basic basis creates creates sorry this conflict, a lot of conflicts. This me and mine. I need to get what what I want, um, pushing pushing other things away. Like I, I don't want that, and. This is all, of course, these, these boundaries um, are, are set up in this whole, this idea is set up all in our minds. You know, this is all kind of a fabrication of, of division. It's a fabrication of me. It's a fabrication of mine. Right? And we're really living from, from this place. So we're not able to access anything more. So when we move into a spiritual path and we want to... to gain access into our spiritual selves and grow more into those uh, characteristics and, and attributes, um, this states of being, states of mind. We have to abandon that selfish um, attitude, that me and mine, and I'm just trying to get um, the next pleasurable thing. And man, the mind's crazy like this <laughs> it's trying to do this all the time it's really really seeking very very hard you know to to gain these things and again it's just delusion because the more and more we try to do this the more and more we see that it's not fruitful right? and so in in buddhist practice it's just pointing to certain aspects of the mind that are innate with peace are innate with um, contentment, at easeness. Right? There's certain parts of our minds and certain aspects of our being that are innately at ease, and yet this fabricated sense of, you know, I need it, I need my happiness and, and, and pleasure and whatnot outside, and it needs to look like this. <clears throat> it's, a whole, it's a whole world, 
that's built up in our minds and then it's projected out and we're living in it and we're acting from from that from that place and we see the world from that view that self and other view and it's a difficult world it's a difficult uh, existence a lot of dissonance because we can never really really get it <clears throat> and so in the Buddhist practice, especially emphasized in the Mahayana tradition, is this, this um, need, this need for others to show us the walls. It's like we have built a prison for ourselves. Right? We're imprisoned by our own um, delusions of where happiness comes from. So we build up all these, these, this prison, these walls and whatnot. And it's because of others that we're able to see those walls and therefore you know, meet them, work with them, and develop more love, love and compassion and kindness until those walls fall down and we're living in a new realm, if you will, a new, a new way of seeing, a new way of being. But our enlightenment depends on others it depends on others showing us where our delusions lie and so i had a, an instance yesterday um, i was at the dog beach you know katie and i and, and wolfie were at the dog beach and uh kind of unfortunate incident happened where uh this man was you know playing fetch with his dog and he had one of those i don't know what you call them but it's it's like uh, it helps you throw the ball, you know. It has like leverage on it, and it, you could throw it far and whatnot. And and the beach was crowded, and he was using one of those, and he threw the ball, and it hit another dog, um, like right in the face. You know, hit this other dog, and and uh, you know I I saw it and and whatnot and. Oh man, I felt I felt so bad for this dog. It was like wincing and like rubbing its eye, you know, uh, which is just like oh, you know, heart heart is breaking for this dog. And I, you know, I think the dog's okay, but you know, in the moment, just a lot of, you know, a lot of empathy, a lot of compassion for this dog. And so, the dog's owner that got hit, um, you know, went to his dog and make sure his dog was okay. Then he turned to the guy who threw the ball and and he said hey man you know you gotta watch where you're throwing the ball and and you know it's it's crowded and, and whatnot and he threw it really hard too and it was you know really crowded and um and the guy who threw the ball got really defensive and he said oh yeah man like like i did it on purpose and the guy who owned the dog that got hit he was like oh man i know you know, you didn't you didn't do it on purpose, <laughs> but you gotta watch where you throw the ball, right? You just you just hit my dog hard too, and so um, immediately within my own mind, uh, I sided with the dog owner. <laughs> it's like that guy should not have thrown the ball that hard. <clears throat> it's so crowded, and he didn't even apologize. Not only didn't he even apologize, he didn't look like he had any empathy or any compassion for the dog that he hit. 
I thought, man, if I did that, I would run over to that other dog, you know, to the dog that I hit. Oh, are you okay? Paying attention to it. Then I would profusely apologize for hitting somebody's dog in the face, you know, with a ball. So there's a lot of conflict and division within my own mind. You know, I, I was right, and this dog owner was right in my mind, and this other guy was wrong. And I was trying to remedy this in my, in my mind. <clears throat> that was the initial feeling and everything in my mind. The dog owner, the dog that got hit, his, the owner, was very skillful, actually. The way his tone and everything and how he delivered the message to this guy, he was assertive, but uh, but also just just very you know at ease, not not very um, confrontational at all. Uh, he was caring for his dog and his wife and the kids and that guy very delicately. Where the other guy was defensive, and so I started to kind of tune in. The guy that was defensive that, that threw the ball, and I got to see that he had some other stuff going on. You know, he wasn't um, that mature. You know, that he he probably you know had some embarrassment maybe, or he had some um, social inadequacies. So I was trying to just kind of feel into him. But but in the end, what I noticed with within myself and my own mind. That the only thing that unified the situation for me was that my compassion could be universal. I had compassion for the dog. I had compassion for the dog owner. I even had compassion for myself because I had this, this empathy too. You know, I was hurting because the dog was hurting. And then if I could, if I could have compassion for this other individual then I'm then there was unification there wasn't division my my compassion could be the the unifying you know essence of the situation where I could see everybody was hurting in some way this guy was definitely hurting even though you know he's defensive and he looked sounded calloused and all that stuff he, he was hurting too So this is um, this is how our walls fall down. This is how this this um, delusion of, of separateness falls down. It falls down by by seeing the resistance, by seeing this this self and and and, and other you know com coming up. And again, too, it's it's not so much in the beginning about this external. Um, these external situation, but it's the unification of our own minds in this loving kindness, and and the peace. And again, there is dissonance and um, separateness and conflict. It didn't feel good. And then there can be a release of that into more. Um, more peace, more, more at ease.
So, so next I want to talk a little bit about um, a, a little bit about mindfulness as a precursor um, to to empathy. A little bit about how how do we train in empathy? Um, and again, this uh, empathy is a precursor to compassion, and we could say compassion, true compassion, when you recognize compassion ultimately. Uh, we have access to awakened mind. So we could say that mindfulness is a precursor to empathy, empathy is a precursor to compassion, and compassion is a precursor to enlightenment. <laughs> we want to follow it all the way out. Um, true compassion. And again, too, it's, it's this diminishing of the, the, the selfish attitude, right? So why is compassion synonymous, like ultimate bodhicitta synonymous with awakened mind because it is removing that small self, you know, that, that small idea of self that's just you know, selfish in its motivation, looking for you know, only me and mine. And, and ultimately, when we see that the, the emptiness of that small self through um, the, the purification of compassion, then we're awakened in the clear scene. We don't live in that world anymore with that division. And we could see clearly. Right? So this mindfulness of body, you know, when you start off with the four applications of mindfulness and as a precursor to empathy, you know, we could really, really use this as a tool when we see our own, when we're looking into the body. Um, oh, actually, um, actually, I wrote something here. So this is out of um, Alan Wallace's um, book genuine happiness i don't have a copy here i have a digital copy but it's called genuine happiness it's a wonderful if you want to look at a, a more of a tibetan take or mahayana take on uh, the four foundations of, of mindfulness it's a really great resource um, but here he writes um, observing the body as the body means to examine it with discernment not with blank, spaced-out awareness. Observing it internally means to inspect our own body from within. As you extend this practice into daily life, you can closely attend to the bodies of others, noting their gestures, facial expressions, tone of voice, and other physical mannerisms. Being thoroughly present with others in this way provides a basis for empathy, which in turn is a foundation for the cultivation of loving kindness and compassion. So we we do this subconsciously a lot. We, you know, with with others, but it's a great tool to do more explicitly. Um, when we tune into our own bodies, and we see how we react to to pain, um, to to suffering, um, to you know, to uh, somebody saying something to us that is hurtful, you know, our bodies actually really react to this. And this is really, really important when we're trying to gain access and sensitivity to others' pain. Um, uh, Katie, my fiance, she's very tough, <laughs> very, very tough woman. And um, she will not tell me if she's hurting most of the time. Um, so I have learned that I have to pay 
I have to pay attention, you know. So, um, you know, if I see, you know, if I see her, like her, her movements and her body and whatnot, like um, if I see that they're off a bit, you know, I have to ask, you know, are you are you okay? Are you hurting in some in some way? Um, and and you think of so many of us do this, you know, if you're if you're a parent, if you have a loved one, if you're around, you know, um, your parents, uh, uh, somebody at work, you know, we're looking out for each other, seeing if, if we're okay or not. Um, obviously, in, in clinical settings, you know, body English and facial expressions, if um, it's in some kind of maybe a mental health situation, if you're a clinician, you know, this is obviously you're trying to extract from people's bodies how they're how they're feeling um uh, physicians um i've already said teachers you know teachers with with kids in the classrooms and, and whatnot so this development of, of sensitivity to other people's um uh, pain other people's um, suffering uh, it, it all starts with a, the mindfulness of our of our own and again, we're trying to feel with, we're trying to feel into. If we can't feel anything, there's, there's no room for, for compassion to arise, right? We can't, we can't see the other side. And, and this extends, um, you know, as we go through the, the foundations, of course, it extends into, into our own, the mental afflictions too. You know, mindfulness of, of mind um, is, is such a powerful one and, um, there's there's so much there's uh, there's so much room for compassion and and empathy to arise uh, when we look into this way because let's say that go back to the example of the beach you know I had to really look at this guy's suffering in his mind the guy that threw the ball and had no no external external remorse for that you know but there's a lot of suffering in the mind because I see my own suffering and my own ability to communicate my own inability to communicate when i'm suffering and when i'm hurting and and saying dumb things at that times um that don't seem right <laughs> you know um i gotta look into the times when i've done that when i hadn't said i haven't said sorry um when i should have and all of these things right so mindfulness with feelings is the big one here. So Vedana practice, mindfulness of feelings, we're really talking about feelings. We're talking about love and kindness and compassion are really feeling tones, right? Um, empathy is a feeling tone. So is anger. So is um, um, you know, jealousy, envy. All of these things are all feeling tones. So again, if we're not sensitive to our own, to our own feelings, and when when those feelings give rise, I mean, uh, you know, it's quite amazing with the virtual world and feelings. You know, um, you know, comments on on posts and whatnot. If they're directed at you, they can be very hurtful, right? Uh, although you see all the time people are doing these crazy stuff online and saying these things and and, and all that, and people get super defensive and whatnot. If you have different opinions. But really, you know, seeing how that reacts within our own bodies, uh, within our own feelings, when we when we hear things and we hear people say things, so this will give rise to our own uh, precautions, right? When we're 
when we're saying things and whatnot, whether it be online or or um, or just 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 out there, right? Um, so yeah, just a, a little bit on 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 mindfulness itself is the most powerful thing that we could do on a moment-to-moment -moment basis to really familiarize ourselves with our own sensitivities. And then, of course, moving into uh, the Brahma Viharas and the, the development of loving kindness and compassion. And, you know, usually mudita is translated as sympathetic joy, right? So sympathetic joy, um, this rejoicing and the good fortune of others and in genuine happiness and i have heard it in other places as well um, more in the mahayana tradition but they call it empathetic joy empathetic joy really feeling into the joy of others and the practice here i'm kind of um yeah a, a, as a practice is that you know, we really feel into the good fortune of ourselves and we really feel like what it feels like to feel good things we feel into the good fortune of, of loved ones we feel into the good fortune of a neutral people let's say just kind of put ourselves in those in, in in their shoes you know and then of course with difficult people you know you could in the difficult person but they are you know experiencing goodness in their life and can you can you feel into that? And that's a wall, you know. Some lights. Like, that's a good, um, a good time to practice. You know, does something come up where there's resistance to that? Um, to really wanting to, to feel into the, the the suffering and the good fortune of somebody who we don't really get along with, right? So great opportunities again to expand. Um, good opportunities to expand into greater senses of, to greater uh, sense of compassion, loving kindness. One final kind of thing I want to go into breakout rooms, give us time for that. Um, I do just want to talk a little bit about, about compassion um, itself. And <clears throat> Yeah, and also about this this empathy, um, uh, kind of being an empath. You know, this this idea of being an empath and basically hurting. You know, with hurting when other people hurt. Uh, this idea of like kind of taking on the energy of of others and and whatnot to kind of being overly sensitive. I guess is a, is a good way to do it. Some people, you know, we need we need um, to develop sensitivity and then. There is kind of um, a way to be kind of oversensitive, but speaking to that, it's really not an oversensitivity. Um, it's for one, the relationship, not seeing the, the, the wisdom aspects of, of what's arising. Um, you know, working with seeing for lack of um, just seeing that seeing the emptiness of it so an emotion is arising within us but we don't need to jump in and kind of take that on as an aspect of self so we could notice these energies but but most of all we want to convert it to compassion and i'm going to read a little a little something that points to this so we want to convert convert that that empathy we don't want to stay just stay in that empathy where we were just feeling but just that feeling because somebody's sad then we're sad if somebody's hurting we're hurting so we want to actually move that into into compassion 
right? Into into it's more of a of, of an action, right? This is Alan Wallace. He's talking um, here again. This is from Genuine Happiness. In 1992, I was working with a group of neuroscientists, collaborating with Tibetan yogis in the mountains above Dharmasala in northern India, studying the nature and effects of compassion. The most senior monk we visited was, was Geshe Yeshe Thulop, age 69, who had been meditatively cultivating compassion while living in retreat for the past 23 years. So this guy was just a beginner. <laughs> um, we asked him, when you experience compassion, do you experience sadness? If he did, it would imply that the deeper the compassion you experience, the greater the misery. And if you experience boundless compassion, this would be accompanied by boundless misery. The yogi replied, when you first witness a child who is suffering, your immediate experience is one of sadness. But then the emotion is displaced by the yearning how can I help? Does this child need food, shelter? What can be done to alleviate the child's suffering? This is when true compassion arises. And when it is present, the previous sadness vanishes. So, so with this, you know, and they call it compassion fatigue. You know, some people, there's another term, like compassion fatigue, has to do with maybe being overwhelmed and, and also a lot of um, being an empath kind of gets put in this category too of just being this overwhelm. This overwhelm comes, I, I like to call it um, attachment to outcome fatigue. You know, um, again, Again, even with compassion too, you know, we, we, we say this a lot that um, this, this compassion with expectation, you know, you know, this turns to attachment, you know. So we have to be really careful that the compassion is actually very enlivening and compassion itself is very enlivened energy. And being an empath and, and, and with compassion is very enlivened energy because it doesn't have attachment to outcome. It's not about the outcome. It's about the it's about the compassion. It's about the boundless nature of it. It's not about some the yeah the expectation and it needs to be like this and it needs to be reciprocated like that and they need to get better and all that, right? Because that's all not not holding together the wisdom piece of impermanence, of of emptiness. You know, the fact of it is we can't control the getting better. We can't control it. A lot of the times, we can control the compassion piece. We can control that. And, you know, along those lines, if there's somebody hurting, they don't want you to spiral down with them. That's not what anybody wants. Nobody wants that type of, uh, you know, the, you know, I'm I'm in a you know really bad place and very sad. You know, people want somebody to hold. Um, uh, equanimity. You want somebody to hold enlivened, uh, loving, kind, peaceful energy. Nobody wants us to go down into misery w w with them. 
it's not what we're what we're looking for right so this 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 idea of how can i help this compassion is more that the action aspect right of empathy of how can we move into into something um, greater and just before we go into um um, some breakout rooms you know it's it's thinking of some obstacles of of compassion or empathy with the difficult people and when we move to to this contemplation it's good to just ask yourself the question you know why is this person behaving in this way like if somebody's hateful why are they hateful it's easy to see that they're hateful you know it's um why like why it's it's like a dog that's maybe violent you know with a dog we say oh it must it might have been abused it was trained in that way but with humans um you know we we believe that um sometimes we just don't see that and so it's really good <clears throat> excuse me it's really good to to kind of pay attention in our own minds when we see that coming up when we're labeling people a certain a, a person a certain way and we really want to cultivate that empathy a quick question is just to ask why why are they acting like that just to open it just to open it up just to open it up and investigating to kind of break down that first layer of walls you know um, what's causing that all right um, cool so we're gonna go into breakout rooms of maybe three and four and um, Donna are you gonna help with that or you want me to do it okay it's okay. I can do it from here. All right. Yeah, and just and we're just chatting with how this landed for you. If anything else, you know that you want to discuss, um, yeah, that came up for you. Be great. Welcome back. I got to do a breakout room with my daughter, which was really awesome. <laughs> oh, awesome! That was really cool. So cool. The, the universe was at work. Yeah, oh. it just it just happened that way. <laughs> I was with my mom. Yeah, I, I noticed that one. It was great. Very cool. <laughs> so, no, is that everybody? Might be everybody. So, um, yeah, we have like five minutes, four minutes uh, left. Um, Want to give you ample time in in, in the breakout rooms, but. Uh, Anyone want to share anything that came up for them in the few minutes we have left? I just want to have us all um, take a moment with Meta for um, Shannon and her family right now. Um, they just experienced some outright racism with their son, and he was called the N word by a neighbor, and now there's police involved. and. She just left sobbing. So this is happening as we speak. So I, I would really like us all to just take a moment and send Shannon love and her son and her husband and her family. 
love. Yeah, so maybe just, just closing our eyes for a moment here. Just thinking of, of all of them. And what extremely raw opportunity to practice. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Paula. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, and it's like the, the timing, I think, of, of this is um, of all of these practices, you know, when the, when the times get more and more difficult, then, um, then the Dharma and our practices really um, it's tested, you know, it's easy when it's easy. <laughs> it's not so easy when it's hard and when it's personal, you know? um, when it's not out there anymore. It's really, really close. It's more and more difficult. Uh, and there's more opportunity too, so. So maybe, maybe we'll leave just with with this just carrying this in our heart as our as our practice you know, as our practice today is in this in situations just like this how can we have empathy and um and you know we start where we are and, and maybe the answer is we we don't you know, we don't have empathy we don't have compassion this is real you know? but we start where we are and we start with the intention to one day have compassion or can we have the intention to one day maybe see beyond whatever that division might be. Can I see clearly? Can I see beyond that? Um, to, to incorporate someone like that into my field of compassion? And would that help? You know, would that help us globally? You know, would that help us um, as a society if we were able to do that? What would that what would that look like? What are the things that we could accomplish? And again, in our hearts, we're not talking about non-action here. We never are. We're not talking about non-action, not non-doing. We're talking about the place where that action is coming from. Is it coming from a place of kindness and an intention of unification, or is it coming with an intention of division? Wherever that, that intention lies, it's it's gonna meet with fruition of that. So if we're coming from hate and division. We're going to see more hate and division, but if we're coming from a place of loving kindness and to want to go to the other side of that, to become unified, even though we don't know how, 
within our own selves. We don't know how, but that's where that energy is going to take us. And um, so I'll just end with that. I'm very grateful for Sangha, like something like this, right? Really grateful for, for togetherness and to have like-minded people holding, holding space for one another. So thank you all so much for coming. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.